Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gaze. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows, while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. I'm your other host, Charles Rogers. We don't have anything. Let's just go straight into the Mon Mothma minute, because I, like Mon Mothma in this episode, need to cope with my problems by standing off to one (laughs) side and drinking a large glass of what appears to be wine while dressed in a fabulous home outfit of a lovely white jacket. Uh, Even when she is drinking her problems away, standing off to the side watching her daughter's freaking Sunday school class, that she's got going on. She is a flawless icon. Uh, If there's one thing that we have learned from this show, it is that Mon Mothma is in fact a flawless icon. And I was correct to stand her this entire time. I I definitely agree with you. I think uh, she has proven that the Mon Mothma Minute was worthy of our time and even a segment on this show, for sure. Hilariously, do you want to know a fun uh, penultimate episode? fact. Sure. The Mon Mothma minute is longer than her screen time in the original trilogy. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like 33 and a half seconds. That's crazy. how long she's on screen. That's wild. I never knew that. Mm-hmm. And she's in less of the prequel trilogy. She's really only in the deleted scenes, right, which are really still considered canon. Alrighty, I don't think we have anything to dive into this week. I do want to say up front, uh, I'm going to promote this here. Because I remember, because I just listened to the newest episode this morning. Uh, You should be listening to, if you like this show, you should be listening to For Light and Dice, a Star Wars TTRPG podcast set in the High Republic era. Uh, it's DM'd by Chris from Dark Side Divas. It's uh, me, Hope from J Guys and Jedi, Jess from RuPalp's Padres, and our friends Nathan and Colton. The latest episode has a surprise guest voice actor on it, uh, which threw me for a loop. Uh, I was I was making coffee in my kitchen and I, I just woke up and I listened to the episode and I'm very stubborn. I only listen to them when they come out. I won't listen to the, the raw file on my computer. So I have it in and I press play on my Apple podcasts and I hear that voice and I'm like, holy shit. It's like listening to, I don't want to say what else it's like listening to, but it's very familiar to me. I was like, oh my God, that's so good. Anyway, you should listen to For Light and Dice. It's great. I keep bullying Bradley to to start it, but he's just I so did. busy. You did. I did. I did start it. I Well, I, I listened to like the first half or no, I'm sorry, not the first half. I listened to the first-ish episode. I want to say like I listened to the intro the character intro thing oh the little 15 minute intro yeah yeah yeah. that's what I listened to I I listened to that part at least so I haven't gotten into like the true kind of uh Whatever, the meat of it the, the actual meat yet but like i know the characters i know all the people who are going to be on it so it's like one of those so i'm i'm, I'm slightly... I'll, I'll keep bullying him i'll keep bullying him and fairness though bradley has been incredibly busy i personally am delighted to get bradley back into the normal time zone yes i, I can't wait uh, well speaking of people who are escaping islands in the middle of the ocean and trying frantically to get home bradley do you want to take us into our episode for 
today? This week. We're That's gonna be talking... a fucking segue. My God, I am sexy. This week, we're going to be talking about Andor episode 11, titled Daughter of Ferret. Fugitive once more, Cassian must make his next move for it's too late. Charles, what is one thing you liked about this episode and one thing you did not? So one thing I really liked is this is the penultimate episode. And it could have very easily been an episode that was just another maneuvering people into place episode. Another, we need to get the people where we need to get them for the finale to happen. But it wasn't. Like, it still accomplished its goal of maneuvering people into place. But it's this very, very, like, intense episode about grief and the aftermath of death and loss and who can move on and who can't move on. And even outside of the main sort of arc, which is various reactions to to Marva Andor's death, we see like Cyril having this opportunity to let go of Cassian Andor and he can't take it. Um, so it it took what should be just a let's get everybody set up for the finale episode and made it into something really, really special and thematic. And I really like that. Uh, one thing that I didn't like Oh, geez, this is hard. This is hard, Bradley. Um, I would say that the episode did kind it couldn't really escape being the episode where we need to maneuver everyone into place. And they did a really good job of, of obscuring that with the very good thematic elements. Uh, but especially, you know, by the end of the episode, it feels like a lot of the extraneous scenes, like the Cyril scene, the Velenclea scene, Deidre scene, all of these scenes are there really to maneuver people into place. And the only real resolution we get at the end of the episode is Cassian learning that Marva has died and uh, his reaction to that. So what about you, Bradley? One thing you liked and one thing you did not. Um, I have to agree with you. The thing I didn't really care for in the episode was those small scenes that kind of do kind of feel like set up. Um, and they, they were all right. I mean, Cyril's kind of disappointed me a little bit because I felt like he only got two kind of mini scenes, if anything. And they were just, hey, Cassian might be at the funeral. And then also I'm going to steal my mom's money or something or whatever he does at the end. And I was just like, I don't know. I didn't care for those. Uh, I really liked, however, the action sequence uh, with Luthen, I thought that was fantastic. Uh, everything about that beautiful, beautifully shot, everything, um, the choreography, it was all really, really nice. And I just really liked that. And that felt to me more Rogue One-ish more Star Wars-y, I guess is the phrasing I'll use. I mean, it was like a nice, I don't know, a little part in space, and I liked it. It's like, by the way, we do know how to do Star Wars action. We are choosing right, not right, right. to, right. but we do know how to do it. We know how to do it. Just to, just to make sure you guys remember that, yes, we do know this is Star Wars. Here you go. Like, here's a little scene to remind you. All right, you want to take us into the episode? We begin on Narkina 5 with Cassian and Melchior. No, I have I'm... to cut you off because I want to ask up at the top of this, uh, did you try to do this from wikipedia again oh my god because i need uh, to know whether or not i need to quickly edit my notes no i into did, whatever I did. order wikipedia <clears throat> thinks the episode was in no for for the rest of the time that we do any of these episodes ever again i've learned my lesson i will never ever do my notes based on wikipedia again because wikipedia likes to lump the story based on the character not in chronological order now so, i love wikipedia I like nobody works harder than them they bust ass 
whenever a new Star Wars thing comes out to keep things updated. They do, however, not present their episode descriptions in chronological order. So right, exactly. So I will never be. I'm using mostly that as laughing anything. at Bradley's frustration. I am not poking fun at Wikipedia here. Uh, their editorial decisions do make sense. They're just not good for Bradley writing his summaries this time around. Exactly. You want to take us into that summary? If I can. If I'll permit it. Can can you mute me on the Zoom call? I don't know if you have that power. Well, I guess I should unmute myself before I... Uh, yeah, I can mute you. <laughs> okay, well, I guess... I, I have uh, to unmute myself. You have to unmute it. That's so weird. We have discovered that Bradley have discovered can mute that... me if he wants to. Right, but I can't unmute you somehow. That's really weird. And also, I could technically mute you at any time. You just wouldn't know until the edit is done later. <laughs> no, I, I see it when it pops up on the screen. No, I know. I'm saying I can that secretly mute you later. And you would never know <laughs> until it comes I, I control the flow of the episode, but the second we hit stop, Bradley is in charge of what yes. comes out of your ears. I am the Sith. We begin on Narkina 5 with Cassian and Melshi climbing a high cliff while hiding from a Thai Reaper patrol. On Ferex, Marva Andor has passed away. B2 EMO is grieving his master. And as they carry Marva's body out of the home, Cinta and an ISB agent watch the procession. Back on Narkina, Cassian and Melshi stalk a pair of aliens camping by the river they attempt to steal their ship but are caught in a trap oh wow you covered a, either you covered a lot of grounds or i have a fuckload of notes on this section you must i mean i the scenes were so short so i just kind of like lumped them all together i was like well because the cassian scene kind of felt like split in two and like with the marva stuff kind of hanged in the middle so i didn't want to lose it all you know see your thing bradley is when you watch these episodes you get to actually watch them and enjoy them and i'm first <laughs> with the burden of knowledge Yes. Yeah. Uh, the Thai Reaper. Uh, I, I have a little story about the Thai Reaper since you identified you it. Of course. You uh, I wrote down in my notes I wanted to try to figure out what Thai Fighter this was because I was going to look sexy and clever on the podcast for knowing, but I couldn't for the life of me remember the name. And so I ended up having to go to the Thai Starfighter page on Wikipedia. It took me an embarrassing amount of clicks to figure out that it was the Thai Reaper. I was so, going to say there might be like 10 or 15 of these TIE Fighters. So there's, sure there's, yeah, there's like 20 <laughs> different TIE Fighters and some of them are like older mob versions of, I was clicking through. So I want to dispel the notion that I know what I'm doing. I do know what I'm doing, but most of what I know how to do is just search Wikipedia really well because I've been doing it since I was 12. Right, as, well, you know, honestly, any Star Wars fan, they should all be doing that. Everyone go learn how to use Wikipedia. It will make you sound so much smarter on podcasts. There are, once again, shots of their hands and feet, which <laughs> I had to <laughs> I had to bring up the foot. Of course you did. The, you had to bring up the Star Wars foot fetish. I had podcast. to bring up the Star Wars. Well, because it serves a purpose, right? It It's, again, demonstrating that there is no connect. There is no barrier between Cassian and Melshi and the danger and the rock and how uncomfortable and painful because we see that now their feet and their hands are like scuffed up and bloody and their, their nails are kind of messed up a little bit. And it's deeply unpleasant for everyone involved. Speaking of things that suck... <laughs> no, not Marva Andor. Well, I kind of saw this no. coming. Like, I kind of knew this was going to be the catalyst of, like, kind of the end. Oh, yeah. Although I didn't, I, I didn't know I was going to feel bad for the, the pet Roomba. 
that he was going to be sad that his, his oh, oh, we'll, died. we'll get to we'll get to b2 emo's grief here in in a second uh but i do want to make a note that that marva does die off screen in between episodes and the first we learn about it is people talking about it uh i do want to note that here because it's going to be important at the end of the episode because uh, i was fucking furious i was livid when i found out when I realized that's what they were talking about. But thematically, it's perfect, and we'll get to why. Yeah, B's, uh, B's not doing too good. Yeah, his, uh, he's, a, he's, an old, he's an old little droid, and uh, he's been with Marva probably all of his life, I'm assuming, <laughs> or at least most of it, if she didn't, like, reprogram him when she got him or something, you know? So it's really sad that he has essentially his mom is dead yeah and he has a very like i don't want to say childlike but very raw reaction to her death and it's it's almost a sense of denial of you know what what do you want b do you want to do this do you want to do that no i want marva just saying i want marva and i'm like that that breaks my heart because that's the thing that that kids say when they have a loved one taken away from them is they'll, they'll sometimes say you know i don't want x i want this person that we've lost and you have to give it to brasso because the fact that he's even treating b in this way like kind of consoling him and um it's no it's just interesting that he's even bothering to console him slash whatever because i mean if you look at this as a realistic kind of way you know droids are actual they're just robots right like so like the fact that he's even taking the time to care about b2's quote-unquote feelings is interesting because all he needs to do is wipe b2's memory or you know what i mean like there's not really like a there's not a reason why he's kind of doing this other than that he's just a kind person and he sees droids as more than just tools right well and, and b2's part of the family at this point and right. and b2's grief over losing marva is is real it's real to B2. And Brasso never at any point treats B2 as, as anything less than someone who is grieving. Regardless of that is simply B2's programming experiencing loss. To B2, that feels like real sentient grief. And the way Brasso approaches B2 by by giving him tasks and making sure that he's busy and helpful uh, and that he has something to do, that is a, a very mature and, and reasonable like way to try to help someone distract themselves from their grief. Uh, Brasso is a real one and is way too good to be in this universe. I, I like that they put Marva in one of their work carts to take her out. Uh, and they also have adorned her with little branches, which seem fairly rare on Ferrex. It, yeah, it doesn't seem like a that. place with a lot of trees. So Or plants in general. Marva was a very respected member of the community, and they're also they're using the tools that they have at their disposal to honor her, which is, you know, heartbreaking and I cried like a little little child when this happened. Like a little droid. Like a little droid. B2 is me in this moment, okay? I want Marva back. Jumping over to the little scene with Senta and Corv, I think the guy's name is. Uh, Yes. I keep calling him ISB agent, but yes, he has ISB. a name. It's Corv. It's Corv. Yeah. 
If Senta is good at her job, the fact that Korv doesn't know who Marva Andor is should be a huge red flag that he's also a spy. Yeah, I was thinking she knows exactly that this dude is like not no good. Like I thought she was going to be like, oh no, like I'm going to be in trouble. But I think she knows. I think she's like, this guy is fucking suspicious and I'm going to watch him even though I know he's Mm -hmm. watching me and other people. And I, I think it's interesting that she has an excuse ready to go for why she doesn't. And it's sort of the truth, which is I only got here recently. Now she says a week ago, which is a lie. But she does have her bases covered. And this guy is not quite as good. Uh, I suspect, like like you said, I think that she's sussed out this guy as ISB. Or at least not who he claims to be. Speaking of the aliens... You want to talk about the aliens that Cassian runs into? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we do, though, I, I just want to say, like, these suits that these aliens or, like, the the, the actors are wearing, um, they are so fun. This was, like, the coolest thing that I saw. Like, I love this little bit because they reminded me of that one alien that was in, I think, the first three episodes. Um, I forget his name, but that same costume design. Like, it's Vetch. very, like, Fetch. Is that what it is? Vetch. Or Vet, Vetch. Vetch. Um, yeah, that's what they remind me of. Like, this very Where is bulky Vetch? alien. We haven't seen Vetch in a while. I mean, maybe he'll be at the funeral. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah, these these suits are being puppeted by uh, Matthew Lyons and Liam Cook. Neither of them have a lot of credit, so we're not going to dive into it. But I do want to talk about who is voicing Dewey, who is the one that speaks English. So there's two. There's uh, actually I want to talk about both of them. Uh, so the one who's speaking, the one who's playing Dewey, who's the one who's speaking English, is a gentleman by the name of Mike. Quinn. Do you have any information on Mike Quinn or is this a surprise to you, Bradley? This is a surprise to me. I didn't get any information on the alien. Uh, Mike Quinn is a, a, is a decent amount of credits, uh, but a few that I want to highlight. Uh, he's mainly in puppeteering work. He's a puppeteer. Uh, he's been in such films as The Great Muppet Caper, The Dark Crystal, uh, Muppet Treasure Island, the best Treasure Island movie. Uh, he's been in a lot of Muppets movies. Uh, he was in uh, one episode of Glee, but he was in a couple of movies that I, I just want to mention here because I think you might have heard of them, Bradley. He was in a movie in 2019 called Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. In 2017, he was in a movie called Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. He was in a movie in 2015 called Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. And he's playing the same character in all three movies. Now he's in one more movie in 1983 in Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. You want to take a wild guess who Mike Quinn plays in all four of these movies? Mm, well, I've never heard of these movies before, but sorry, that was a terrible joke. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, let's see. He's a puppeteer, and he's, he's in a puppeteer. All the, he's all the sequel movies. He's in all the sequels and episode six. And episode six, okay. He's playing so. the same character in all four movies. All four. Oh, all shit. four movies. He plays the same character. All four movies, and he's a puppeteer. Who the fuck? I will give you movies? another hint. The character okay. is usually seen piloting a ship. Oh, he's uh, is it nine numb? It's nine numb. He's nine nub. Nine nub. I got it. I I was like, wait a minute. I'm trying to think like, who is in all four movies? Ah, that's, oh, that's awesome. Okay, cool. Yep. And then Freedy, the other gentleman, is being voiced by by a gentleman named Damien Farrell. 
Damien Farrell's, again, a puppeteer. He was also a puppeteer in Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance, uh, Force Awakens, and Rise of Skywalker. He's a puppeteer in Jurassic World Dominion. Uh, and as an actor, he appears in Solo, a Star Wars story, as one of the Min-Min guards. So that's some information on those those people. Speaking of The Force Awakens, we've seen a quad jumper before. Ah, yes. Quad jumper also being the ship that uh, Ray and Finn are making a run for in The Force Awakens that gets blown up. Wouldn't it be something if it was the same quad jumper? Well, so the the quad jumper <laughs> in Force Awakens is a little more new looking, or at least has been yeah, patched no, up. Totally and this kidding. one looks like it's falling apart. Yeah, I'm totally it's probably kidding. the same type of quad jumper, but I think it's a different quad jumper. On Coruscant, Deidre convinces local Imperial officers on Ferrix to give the locals a permit for Marva's funeral, hoping Cassian will show up. Back on Narkina 5, the local Narkinians release the captured prisoners. He asks where they are proposing to run to. Cassian says, Niamos. And the aliens depart with the escaped prisoners. Yeah, Dedra is evil as fuck. Oh, I fucking love her. She's like, you know what? How can we manipulate these people even more so than we already are? Hmm. Let's let them actually have a funeral procession and make and like, you know what? Let's but let's make it as subtle that we're being cooperative as possible and like limit the amount of people that can come. And also like only shut down like one street and like, you know. Yeah. And and I love the fact that her her entire thing is basically if we put all these people in a room together, we'll just wait for the rebellion to ferment and then we'll crush it. Oh, like, she's what so, the so fuck? I love it. What the fuck? That is fucking awful. Well, it's kind of like entrapment, right? Like, so it's basically, basically yeah, it's basically setting up the scenario under which rebellion will happen for the express purpose of, of crushing it. Right. Cause um, she's literally going like, Hmm, what can I do to make this even worse for like, if, if it had just been allowed to happen naturally, you know, it might not be as big of a deal, but the fact that she's literally going out of her way to limit capacity, make it as small as like in this condensed place as possible, you know, you're making it, all you have to do is one person has to get aggravated and fuck up and then it causes mass chaos. And so it's And perfect. did you notice the uh, the actual place that they were planning to have it? <sighs> Just a sad little place only the place where her husband got hanged <laughs> just a just a sad little place that's fine I'm sure nothing's gonna bad's gonna happen there they're going to uh they're going to take the ash and they're going to make it into a brick and i have in my notes that before the end of the next episode that brick is getting thrown at somebody you know i thought about it and i was like that's gonna be the brick right like it's gonna be the thing that starts the rebellion you know kind of thing that's what marva andor is the first brick at stone wall <laughs> yeah no she is and remember she was like i want to get involved i want to be a part of this rebellion in any way i can oh, it's and thematically like, you know, perfect somebody's gonna get hit with that brick either like it's gonna go through a window or like they're gonna chuck it at one of the the imperial officers uh hopefully tigo because i hate that guy but yeah no it's that brick is going somewhere guarantee you also uh <laughs> there's a kerfuffle on twitter right now because someone pointed out that uh, Cassian also got turned into ash by the Death Star, but never got to be made into a brick. And someone got very upset about this because Cassian Andor drowned, actually, which is the stupidest response, because if you watch the movie, they very what? clearly get killed by the blast. But yeah, somebody on Twitter was going around and replying to every single comment off that original tweet like, he drowned. So the meme on Twitter right now is to post random photos of people from Star Wars with the caption, he drowned. He most definitely did not 
round, but okay, great. Um, glad that Twitter is almost gone anyway, so it's not even that big of a deal. Uh, so hopefully that whole entire world will disappear along with the website. God, I hope so. Back to the aliens on uh, on Narkina 5. So I was really racking my brain because I was like, this the, the one alien is holding, like they've got like an arm replacement that's like a blade. Uh, I'm actually going to, double check myself yeah it's either like a I, I, you know what's funny is i kind of thought at first when i first saw it, it's like a cooking utensil like he's like almost got like a interchangeable kind of thing like he, if he wants to cook he could put a spatula in it if he wants to cut something he can put a knife in it <laughs> so i was trying desperately to figure out where i had seen this before and my first thought was is this like what what's his name has on um in treasure planet that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, he, he almost looks the same too. Like he's kind of yeah. more heavy set and like. But then you know. I was like, I swear I've seen this in a Star Wars before, and I have not the blade, but I've seen the kind of heavy set alien with the arm extension. It's in the 2003 Clone Wars series, the Nelven Warriors, that they like grotesquely mutilate and then attach the cannons to their arms. Oh, that's right. So when they pull the cannons off, they're missing an arm. Right. And I was like, this looks so much like that. So that was the journey that I went on trying to figure that out. I I don't know if it's an exact (laughs) reference, but I need people to understand this is what the links I go through to try to figure my shit out for this podcast. On a more serious note, I do like how they're basically like, oh, the prison's screwing us over, which, yay, a commentary on how uh, prisons adversely affect the local population of the communities in which they are built. But also, uh, I like how they're like, oh, they were in the prison. Uh, mm, We'll let you go and you can have the ship. We all fucking hate the Empire here, so if you're trying to screw them, we support that. I'm like, damn, I love that level of solidarity. Well, it's definitely a 180 from the last time we saw uh, the Empire or slash Imperial uh, people trying to take over a planet and then the locals being like, oh yeah, I love the Empire. The Empire is great. Yeah, the um, <laughs> in Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I love <laughs> the difference Right. The difference here is fascinating because it's like, oh, yeah, the Empire does fucking suck. Sorry they put you in prison like that. Where you guys, you guys need a ride? <laughs> Which I'm down with. I love that. I love that for them. This is just a, this is just a great little scene. Like, it's weird aliens, and I love when Star Wars is weird aliens. It has a great thematic moral message, and it's got the guy who played Nine Up in it. Well, and also it's great to see aliens because we are watching a show that is, you know, kind of really knee deep in the whole the Empire is taking over. There's not really aliens around right now kind of thing. And so it's nice to see them when they do show up. Yes. And and we've generally focused on most of the main characters are human. Most of them, all the main characters are human. Um, the Aldani population was entirely human. Ferrix is mostly human. The prisoners on Narkina 5 were all human. So it is nice to see alien weird aliens pop up. I like when Star Wars is weird aliens. Back on Coruscant, Vel visits Luthen's antique shop. Clea is unhappy that Vel has broken protocol and refuses to divulge Luthen's whereabouts. Vel tells Clea that she has come to bring news about Marva's death and funeral preparation. Clea agrees to tell Luthen what's going on. Bradley, have you ever had to work in customer service? Yes, I know you. This is a leading question because I, I, I know yes. you have. <laughs> I know where you used to work. Yep. But uh, you've worked in customer service, right? 
Absolutely. You know the customer service face? Does Clea not have the customer service face when she sees Belle walk up? I was shook that Clea was not going to be like, so what antiques would you like to buy today? This is the, like, just keep it going as long as possible. Like, That's she what she does. Bit. She does. That's what she does in case somebody's watching them from outside. They're so paranoid in this shop. I love it. That if somebody outside the shop could theoretically be looking in that the lip, their mouth, if they're reading their lips, it's even that seems like they're just having a conversation about antiques. And like you notice, in order for Clea to give her her lovely little badass speech of her own, she has to move around to the other side and deliberately place herself with her back to the the uh, the windows. So I love that. Yeah, I I just noticed her customer service mask, her little customer service smile. A plus is someone who's also had to work in customer service. Uh, they they also have a temple guard mask. I don't know if that's new or or we just didn't notice that before. I feel like it, I saw it the first time we were in the. That I place. I haven't. I have it noted just because I didn't know if we'd seen that before. I'm gonna see def- Grand Inquisitors. We definitely got a better look at. Uh, I think it was. May's travel crown or whatever I saw in the background again so I think they've definitely like they've kept the same objects in there they're just kind of either shuffling them a little bit mm-hmm. or like we're just getting we're just not seeing everything all at once <laughs> the star killer uh dark dark side star killer outfit has been pretty prominent in these scenes so it's it hasn't moved yeah Clea gives her her little badass speech about how Vel needs to sit down and shut up because Clay is doing about a hundred different things. I don't have lately. I have always. I have so many plates spinning of which you are just one. Love that. Love that whole speech. That was all I had for this scene. Back on Ferrix, Cinta and ISB agent Corv observe the Andor house. Inside the home, Brasso and B2 discuss attending Marva's funeral service. Meanwhile, Bix reflects on her interrogation and torture when she is interrogated by the ISB. They ask about Anton Krieger, but Bix remains silent. Yeah, Brasso really is a real one. This, Yeah, he's kind of, well, the way I look at it is he's Cassian's best friend slash older brother or you know i mean like he's he's essentially a part of the family as well and so you know b2 is essentially andor's step brother or like younger brother or something i don't know and they all kind of like treat each other like that it's just like a nice thing that he's taking care of his younger brother while he's not there essentially yeah and, and b2 really is going through it right now and just doesn't want to leave refuses to leave and bros is like okay you know i'll stay with you just for one night like i like the way that he's he's gently trying to encourage b2 to not wallow in sort of unhealthy reflection and and bury himself entirely in his grief but he's also you know he's not going to force b to take steps that b isn't ready for yet which is just a really really great scene about how to handle somebody who is grieving the loss of a loved one free my girl bix what the fuck guys at this point, it's like, is she really helping your investigation? I mean, <laughs> no, you're just doing it to be a dick. Well, they need her to positively identify Axis. And they like, they drag her into the room and are like, we need you to, to identify whether or not this is the man you've been meeting. Uh, we don't know what she says yet, um, but she did. Uh, that's why they need her. That's why they're keeping her alive. They said it in the last episode. 
pack they're either going to hang or oh i just had a horrible thought what if they hang pack during marvis funeral Ooh, interesting or do you think they've fucking evil that would be evil i mean i don't know i mean i thought for a second there i almost thought that since it's been a little too long since they've talked about it i thought maybe they might have done it already off screen but you're right maybe if they just do it they're like oh by the way not only is this a funeral procession this is also a public hanging <laughs> like let's just do it all at once what since you already fuck have the, the empire <laughs> jesus so the the lieutenant who escorts bix out uh is is a guy named lieutenant kesax he's shown up in several episodes um i just want to point out he's played by a guy named nicholas moss nicholas moss is been in a lot of things nothing i've really heard of uh but that's who's playing he's been in shameless he's been in a lot of tv stuff that's who's playing kesax i don't know if kesax is going to be important but he's shown up enough that i wanted to point out who's playing him and i just want to just point chime in real quick while we or on the subject of just random people in the show. I mean, there's just so many actors. There's and we so really, many. I do want to highlight them when we can. It's just so hard because this is one of the genuine Star Wars shows where like everybody is like in the, like there's just so many actors in this because the weight of the show is about people. You know, the it's all about people in this show. And it's interesting to see all the different types of people and, you know, good and bad. So it's just nice to see that they really are trying to give us a whole giant diverse cast of just tons of people to see. Okay, so according to IMDb, as far as cast credits go, they have across all 11 episodes, 186 people listed. Wow. That's why we're not going through and naming everyone, guys. That's a lot. But Kesax has shown up in a few, so I, I wanted to point him out specifically. The interesting thing about the scene with Bix is the way that they're trying to get her to talk, because they don't torture her. They take her into a room, and at this point in her imprisonment, uh, they've demonstrated the torture. They've shown the torture. They've broken her sufficiently down. And now the threat of torture, they don't even have to do it anymore. The threat of the violence becomes more useful to the Empire than the actual violence itself. And that really is a microcosm for how the Empire operates, both on a micro level when they're dealing individually with people like Bix, and on like a broad macro level when you're talking about the whole galaxy. This was the point of the Death Star. The point of the Death Star was that the Empire was going to demonstrate that it had the power to destroy a planet. And once it is demonstrated that it can destroy planets, the fear of your planet being destroyed becomes more useful than the actual destruction of the planet itself, which I I wanted to point out. And it saves you a lot of money. And it saves you a lot of money. (laughs) There's an alternate... uh, dream sequence in the last jedi novelization um which reveals that uh in the like alternate like future that luke is thinking about or dreaming or whatever the the death star destroyed uh alderaan chandrilla and moncala i believe were the three planets that that it was that were destroyed i know chandrilla for a fact because of mon mothma we also get our first actual visual look at anto krieger no, I don't know who's playing him. That doesn't even look like a real person. Yeah, I thought it might have been CGI or something. It's that like, just it's looks hard like to tell. CGI. Yeah, it was hard to tell. Uh, not no one's even credited as Anto Krieger. 
we've never seen Anton Krieger before this show. He's completely new. I wonder if he'll even show up because I wonder if it's just a plot point rather than an retroactively he may show yeah. up in some other things or be mentioned in some other things. That's the way with Star Wars. Whenever media comes out, they tend to go back. That's why um, if you read the Star Wars 2015 comic run, uh, there's a point where very clearly Rogue One came out because all of a sudden they like go back to Jeddah to deal with the partisans and suddenly they're talking about like Jenna or so and the Rogue One. And you read this comic and it's very obvious. It's like, oh, okay, Rogue One came out after you wrote this. At the Shindrillan Embassy on Coruscant, Mothma and Vel watch Lita participating in a courtship ritual. Mothma explains that Lita was the one who wanted to do it, and later that night, Mothma tells Vel about her plans to channel funds to Luthen and explains her money troubles. Chris from Dark Side Divas described in their Discord uh, Lita's little fucking Sunday school as like her creepy abstinence book club. Oh my god. And I couldn't get over that description. I like that's so good yeah it's like abstinence club like it's like (laughs) it's so gross but it's so perfect oh god it's so it's almost like lita is rebelling against her more liberal mother by like becoming like a super conservative little white girl 100 percent. and i'm like oh that has got to be supremely uncomfortable because it's teenagers rebelling against their parents and when you have parents that are more left-wing sometimes the teenagers will rebel by going more right i mean and that's the great thing about this scene too right is because like even bell's like is this something that perrin is trying to push on her whatever she's like nope she did this even perrin is not into this yeah he's like i don't know what the fuck she's doing like if she wants to do it great because i'm the fun parent but even i will give i will give perrin one point for kind of being more open-minded on this topic. I hate him, but I will give him one point for not endorsing this wholeheartedly. Well, because also he kind of already knows what happens when you do do this because of his own marriage. So he's kind of like, "Mm, I don't know if that's the best thing for our daughter, but if that's what she wants to do, I mean, I'm not going to stop her. Yeah, Lita and uh, Lita and Perrin are, are absolutely going to screw my Mothma over in some form. Not even because they think that she's a traitor, but just because both of them have chafed against her actions. And Lita in particular. And I will continue to defend Lita. She is a teenage girl. She is 13. Okay? Lay off Lita Mothma. She's doing shit that is wrong. But some of the way people talk about her, I'm like... You need you need to calm down. This is a 13-year-old girl who is being influenced by the fascist regime at the time, the conservative traditions of her home planet, and being encouraged by a really shitty father figure. Layoff. Although we do see something in this scene for the first time that we haven't seen in the entire show so far. Mon Mothma gets to have a conversation with someone where she talks about her problems in an open and honest way. Oh, yeah. Well, if she's going to do that with anybody, I guess it would have to be Cousin Vel because uh, she's the only one who knows her secret. Yeah, thank God for Vel being actually somebody that that Mon can talk to. And for the first time, Mon can really talk about how much trouble she's in with this whole financial business because she can't even really talk to Tay about it because she can't tell him about Luthen. She can't tell him about the rebellion, any of it. Uh, I do need to note that uh, 
everything I said in the insert for the previous episode still stands about what I think is happening here financially. The only new information we learned is that it would seem that she took the 400000 out of her account and gave it to Luthen and then doctored the charity books to make it look like they had put it in and taken it back out. Yay, banking plot line. I, I'm sure that even that little description, I'll be because in my brain, I'm like, well, I wonder if they made it look like she put it in and took it back out, or it's more likely that they made it look like she took it back in, put it in. They had to make it look like she took it back out in order to get the ledger to balance to zero, and then they erased the withdrawal from the future ledgers to get it back to zero. This is intentionally meant to be complicated, and I worked in banking operations balancing ledgers for a year. That is the only reason I care this much about the exact details of what is happening in these financial transactions. It's on me and no one else. And then uh, then at the end of the scene, it's it's kind of implied that uh, Mon's going to go through with it. It's kind of implied she's going to have Lita meet with Davos Golden's son. Well, because honestly, she's at a point now where like if she doesn't do it, she's going to alienate Lita even more, right? Because clearly Lita's all for it. She's like, I this is tradition. This is what we do as Chandrillans, even though I'm only 13, I feel like I know all the traditions or something. And I feel like if Mon Moth was like, no, you're not going to do that, then she's going to want to do it even more. So I think she's just kind of going to let her do her own thing and unfortunately meet this kid and theoretically marry him at some point, maybe season two or something. We're going to have a fucking child wedding. Jesus. I I don't think it's going to get that far because by episode no. four or so of the show, she needs to be four, between four and seven of the show of the next season, she needs to be jetting the fuck out of there. Oh, you know what? You're right. She'll probably have to like run away at, by the second or third episode. So we'll never actually see what happens to Lita. I think something is going to go wrong with this like betrothal or this, this meeting. Something is going to go wrong here. Like something's going to blow up in Mon's face. Uh, or vice versa, there's going to be a way for her to finagle herself out of this arrangement by being like, oh, I got him arrested or something. And now his son can't meet with my daughter because, uh-oh, some the Empire's looking at his books right now. or so, You know what I mean? Something like that where she like kind of like double crosses him in some way to kind of protect herself. I don't know. This is going to go badly. I know this is going to go badly. Elsewhere on Coruscant, Cyril chats with his former colleague, Sergeant Linus Mosk, via video conference. Edie is secretly listening in the background, and Mosk brings news that Marva has passed away. He thinks Andor might show up at the funeral, and Karn wants more information, but the transmission terminates. I only have two notes for this scene. One is that I want to shout out uh, Kyle Soler's little little face journey that he goes on at the end. Uh, good work on your acting, Kyle Soler. Uh, you you did a good job with this. Cyril would easily have been a character that you could have made into a caricature, and they didn't. Uh, they made him a very interesting character, and a lot of it comes down to how Kyle Soler portrays the micro-expressions of what's going through through Cyril's mind. Uh, my, my only other note is that Cyril with no hair gel in his hair is very funny. 
it's kind of like his character is so well kept and like so put together that the second he is disturbed like you know like his mom essentially wakes him up or like kind of disturbs him for a second and is like hey quick you have a zoom call in the other room and then he's like he's like okay i'm coming you know and then he's like still in his pajamas or whatever like i just think it's so funny that he's just like you know he's just not always prepared and it just makes him look different and funny yeah phone for you it's it's three in the morning it, so Kids, for my my younger uh, listeners out there, uh, oh, please be over the age of 18 to listen to this show because it's tagged as an explicit podcast. Uh, but for those of you who are too young to remember, uh, back in the day, you wouldn't have cell phones or um, or or text messages or anything of that nature where someone could reach you directly. Uh, if someone wanted to reach you at three in the morning, uh, they would have to call your house phone. And that would likely wake the entire house up and it would become an entire production. So just throwing out there, it this this scene used to happen in reality to some of us. And God, my my birthday is this week and I'm kind of having an existential crisis about it, especially uh, since I made the mistake of, of recently uh, re-downloading a certain app uh, and seeing how much... Uh, more attractive the people that are my age in my area are than me uh yeah i don't recommend downloading those apps it's a bad idea uh but yes really showing my age here that back in the day this used to happen i was gonna make a comment that there are people who have never lived in a world without that app and now it's like that's how old you are that listen, we're getting to that point where listen the episode <laughs> of rupalp's pod race where Claudia has to explain Weird Al Yankovic's 1999 song, The Saga Begins, to her two co-hosts who were not born at the time that show came out. I think about that episode often, generally when I need to feel depressed. Like we're getting to a point where there are people who think the prequels are old. Like they're like, oh yeah, those old ass movies. Like I heard what? someone describe the Lord of the Rings movies as old movies <laughs> recently. I, I heard someone do this. I and like I, I was can't. arguing with people when Rings of Power came out because one of my critiques of, Ring of Rings of Power, but also like something that is an objective fact about the writing of Rings of Power is that Rings of Power kind of assumes you've seen Lord of the Rings. And I was talking to people who are too young to have seen it when it came out and were like, it is nobody's seen those movies or you've like seen it once and then forgot about it. And I'm like, no, you need to understand those movies were fucking huge when they came out in the early 2000s. But you weren't alive for that or you were five years old when that happened. <sighs> I don't like contemplating my mortality. Uh, my only hope is that I will be as sexy and funny uh, and clever as I am now when I'm in my 40s, which is some distance away. So next week on Gold's Project Gaze, when you're 40. Um... <laughs> <laughs> next week on my 40th birthday. No, I'm Run not actually turning 40 next week. Meanwhile on Niamos, Ander. 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 <laughs> I it's, said Ander. Look, I'm I'm not gonna blame you for that one because uh I've been I've been sending you text updates as I watch Elite and Ander is by far one of the only characters that I'm actually rooting for to not have horrible things happen to him. Ander. I know Ander. I sound like Luthan a little bit. He that's what he that's how he says Andor sometimes. Um okay. Cassian Ander. Cassian Ander. Meanwhile on Niamos, 
Andor retrieves a case containing money, a blaster, and Nemec's manifesto from his old hotel room. Elsewhere, Luthen approaches Saul Guerrero's partisan base. Luthen warns Saul that the ISP knows about Krieger's plan and not to join the raid. Saul realizes that Krieger is unaware of the trap and is shocked when Luthen is willing to sacrifice Krieger, but reluctantly agrees to sacrifice him for the war. I liked the little touch that Nyamas is now deserted. Uh, the last time we saw it, it was full of different weird little aliens. And so the implication was the Empire hadn't really tightened its grip on Nyamos. They hadn't made it out that far. That's why Cassian was there. And uh, we see it now and it's deserted. It's dark. No one's there. Yeah, the weather is bad, but I think the implication is sort of that it's empty. Nobody's Yeah, there's out very there. few people that are like, hmm, I'm going to go on vacation this week. <laughs> like... <laughs> Yep, and I I like that visual cue. It's it's that lovely, sexy visual storytelling that I love so much. Uh, my next two notes are in all capital letters. He got the box, which I said he would. I don't know if I said it on the show, but I said he would. Uh, and also rest in peace, Nimic, because we get to hear Nimic's voice. I thought about that, and you know what? I think they played a little tidbit of it on purpose because they wanted us to know that hey he's probably going to listen to it later at some point and we're going to we're going to hear his voice again i think it's going to happen no <laughs> oh my heart can't take it actually i'm predicting now that it's either yeah probably in the probably in the finale he'll listen to it it'll be a voiceover and they'll be cutting through different things that are happening and then it's going to be playing i already know that's what's going to happen i can feel it i can feel it <laughs> Oh, God, that's going to break my heart. Luthen goes over to talk to Saw Guerrera. And uh, again, this is a scene that's so good that I can't break it down into its component parts. It's watching it and, and seeing the, the level of paranoia that Saw already has. And he's just like, oh, the ISB knows? How does the ISB know? How do you know the ISB knows? Maybe your ISB, everyone except me, who among my own people doesn't even trust his own people. Luthen's I like, like I like how his right hand man two tubes or whatever he's like oh yeah it's two tubes he's the one who fucking tells me <laughs> and tubes is like the fuck and saw like doubts like he he thinks for a moment that tubes his right hand guy might actually be reporting to Luthen which of course Luthen was just using to get tubes close so he could steal his blaster. Yeah, Saw's paranoia is is one of the aspects of his later characterization. Um, that I think has gotten overlooked by writing in the past, that part of the reason he takes some of the later actions that he takes are his paranoia is growing. So it was nice to see it on full display here, and it really leads very nicely into what we see in Rogue One when, when Bodhi Rook defects. And Cassie, er, not Cassie, Saw's reaction is, yeah, let's toss him to the horrible tentacle monster. I kind of want this show to show us where he gets poor gullet from. Like, I want him to be like, <laughs> randomly, just like, for no reason at all. He's just like, hey, guys, we got to go get that thing on that planet. And then, like, be like, oh, that's where he got poor gullet from. He's always had it. I also like, I like that Saw ultimately decides to let Krieger die. And the way he rationalizes it as for the greater good is the rationalization Saw uses to do everything he does. It's the slippery slope that, that leads Saw downwards into his ultimate spiraling and, and where he's even mid-spiral in this show, where he goes from very aggressive freedom fighter uh, down to just doesn't care 
Well, he does care who gets hurt. That's a mischaracterization of the character. He does care who gets hurt, but he's constantly rationalizing it. He's constantly telling himself it's for the greater good. 31 people are going to die for the greater good. Love it. And then when Luthen's like, you know, you just call it whatever you want. Saul's response is let's call it war. He, I think, is the only rebel at this point who does recognize that he's fighting a war. And he is right to recognize this. Back on Coruscant, Cyril Karn unlocks a safe in his mother's room and retrieves something. Later, Luthen updates Clea about his successful sale with Saw. However, Luthen terminates the transmission due to an approaching Imperial ship. The Imperial captain orders a tractor beam projector to haul Luthen's ship, but Luthen is able to escape by use of clever countermeasures. Uh, I can't really feel bad about Cyril stealing a bunch of money from his mom. I also, I'm confused about what he's trying to do. He's trying to get back to Ferrix. Oh, okay, okay. I was confused. I was like, he's stealing money from her, but like, why? I couldn't figure out what the point of it was. Because he needs it to get back to Ferrix. He needs to get, he wants to go to Ferrix. He's obsessed with getting back to Ferrix. Well, and she's like, she kind of drives him to it in a way. And like, stealing from your elderly mother is a bad thing. Cyril is doing a bad thing here. But the complexity of the writing of the show is we understand why he doesn't feel bad about doing it. Because remember, her reaction to... um, seeing Linus Mosque is to be like, oh, that's how you got as high ranking as you were. That's how your success was. Everybody else did it for you and really just demeans him in this very critical moment. So yeah, he's stolen it. He's on his way back. It's all converging on this funeral in Ferrix. Shit's about to go down. It took me to my second watch to figure out what the fuck Clea and Luthen were talking about. (laughs) Yeah, they were talking in code so long, it goes like, you're like, wait, what? What are they talking about? (laughs) Uh, What they're essentially saying is, to, to the best of my understanding, Luthen has successfully gotten Saw in line with what they want. Uh, Now they are interested in Cassian. They need Cassian. They need to get Cassian before somebody else gets Cassian. Uh, And they have people on the ground, but there's also other parties involved trying to be the ones to get Cassian. The ISB and others are there, which is essentially what they're saying. Do we want to talk about who's playing Captain Elk? Go for it. Captain Elk is played by Roger Barkley. Uh, Roger Barkley You may know him. uh, Let's see. What do I know him from? Because I didn't Google this. I don't recognize anything on this list. Well, he's got 50 acting credits. It's mostly British stuff. Ah, here's some things. He's been on Torchwood. He's been on an episode of Torchwood. Uh, It's primarily British television. Uh, He was in the TV miniseries of Pride and Prejudice. Um, So that's who that is. He does primarily British TV. And this, again, this whole scene is fantastic. I, I can't... I can't break the specifics of the back and forth between Luthen and Elk down. Uh, Luthen is basically preparing to run from the get-go. He has plans upon plans upon plans. He's faking an engine malfunction so that he can charge up his engines uh, to run. Like, the interplay between them is absolutely fantastic. It's a lot of space action. It was very Rogue One. It was very, honestly, even a little bit of Rise of Skywalker, you know, kind of space battle-y. And I don't know, it felt really good. I, I liked seeing all that stuff. I felt like it was so high quality. Like, I don't know about you, but it just, like, to me, seemed very, very high quality space battle. I don't know. The, the visuals I, were just really good. I wish they hadn't put it in the trailers. I wish it had been a surprise. Uh, because the wing lasers are fucking awesome as shit. That was the coolest part. 
And I do like, I absolutely fucking love it. I literally have written down in my notes, this is genius. This is fucking genius. That he got them to accelerate the tractor beam to a high setting so that when he deployed his little things, uh, his little metal shrapnel bits, uh, they hit it with as hard of a force as possible. Love that. Uh, somebody I can't remember. That wasn't for me. Somebody in the Divas Discord pointed that out. I don't remember who. I also love that they they pull him over essentially for suspicious activity, and then they're like, "Oh, everything checks out. We're gonna let him. Should we let him go? Nah, we need to practice boarding. They're just gonna fuck with this guy because they're bored." Which ultimately is their downfall because if they had just let they him go, they should not have done that because they do. He does destroy all their Tie Fighters and also the tractor beam on the front of the ship. Which I'm sure that's going to be a great conversation with his boss, you know, like, hmm, what happened to the ship? Well, (laughs) whoops. Yeah, no, it's just a fucking incredible action scene. That's that's all I have to say about that. It it, unbelievably good, beautifully shot, uh, tense, paced. This is peak, peak Star Wars right here. Back on Yamos, Cassian contacts his friend Zan and tells him to tell Marva that he is okay. Zan tells Cassian that his mother is dead. He speaks with Melshi, but claims everything is okay. Melshi proposes that they split up in order to improve their chances of survival. Cassian passes Melshi a blaster before shaking hands and patting him on the shoulder. Andor watches the ocean waves and the setting sun in sadness. Yeah, even, remember we talked about everybody is important, every line is important, even Zan turned out to be important. And you know what, he was just that random guy in that one scene in the very beginning of the show where he was like, hey, I'll get you out of here for money. And then he's like, Mm -hmm. turns out he's also important here too. He's the one to let uh, Cassian know. So remember all the way at the top of the episode that I said, put a pin in the whole Marva dies off screen thing because we're going to come back to that. Here's... It's time to take that pen out and talk about that. The exploration of grief in this episode is incredible. And part of why it's incredible is because it puts the audience in Cassian's mindset. Cassian's anger and rage and sadness and just brokenness at the fact that his mother died alone without him is the exact same emotion that I felt at the start of the episode when I learned Marva had died off screen. It is an absolutely genius way of making us really feel what Cassian has felt at the end of this episode. That's why she had to die off screen. That's why she had to die alone without anyone who loved her around her, including the audience. And I was going to say, it parallels very nicely with Rogue One at the very end. Spoiler. Um, where... Spoilers for Rogue One. They all die. <laughs> Spoiler for Rogue One, um, where Cassian, you know, and Jin die on the beach together, right? So the whole point of that is that they're together. They're not alone. And here is Cassian on a beach alone. And he has that thought of, oh, you know, I am alone in this world now because the really the only true person that he has a connection with other than, you know, Bix and Brasso is his mother and she's gone now. And that's his only true family other than these side characters who are kind of like his family. But now he's really like alone, alone. So it's going to be interesting. And none of none of his relationship with any of the side characters will will ever replace Bix and Brasso and Marva and B2. 
he will never have that type of relationship with another person. That when we see him in Rogue One, he is a good soldier. He is all business. All of his relationships that we see are strictly professional, and the only exception is maybe K2SO. Until Rogue One, when he finds that family again that's worth fighting with and worth dying with at the end of the movie with the Rogue One crew. But God, this series is so good about explaining why Cassian is the way he is in Rogue One. Ugh. You know what it is? It's Cassian needs to stop going to the beach. Yeah, clearly bad beach things planets happen. are bad. Every time. Beach Every planets. time. Every time. Do not Cassian, go. Do not go to the beach in Star Wars. Cassian Andor has, we know of three beach days that Cassian Andor has taken. All three of them have gone badly for him. Bad. Don't go to the beach in Star Wars, y'all. Don't go. Uh, my final note is that I just I need to shout out that final final shot with Diego Luna. Um, his acting is fucking phenomenal in this. Just and I saw it pointed out that Cassie Andor, despite being the protagonist, has some of the least di- amount of dialogue in the show. That all of Die- a lot of Diego's acting is in his eyes or in his facial expressions, and he does such a good job of communicating this character, even with those limitations. You know, it's funny that you say that now. It's kind of like a parallel between this and, like, say, The Mandalorian where you have the actor, you know, he's trying to emote with his body behind a mask. Can't, you know, he can't emote to us with his face. So Cassian is doing, Diego, I'm sorry, is doing the opposite here. Um, You know, he's trying to use as much of his facial emotions as he can to give us stuff rather than dialogue because he doesn't need to talk a lot. Yeah, it's just a really impressive feat of acting to be able to control your face that way just the look in Cassian's eyes when when Melshi leaves and he looks out at the ocean and he looks back you know towards the way he came and and his his eyes are just brimming with emotion like uh deep deep in my soul that hurts me all right Bradley do you have any final thoughts on this episode um you know I think this was uh it's it's gonna be hard because it because this is the penultimate episode you know the next episode is obviously gonna be full of action and fun and you know whatever right so that's gonna be the better of the two in this arc just for that pure reason of catharsis right and this episode left me such like kind of not I don't want to say bored because that's the wrong word but because of the fact that we know where this is going and we know where this is like a very low point episode ending um whereas I think in the past a lot of the episodes like even though they ended at low points they were in we got the full arc so we kind of get the full emotion here again we're bringing this up constantly with that is the middle of the arc or you know the middle episodes because this is only a two-parter you know the ending of this is going to feel like that so we're really kind of waiting for the rise of the rest of the episode right yeah that goes hand in hand with my my final thought which is this this episode is a very beautiful melancholic look at grief and loss and particularly the themes of loss. We see it with the loss of Marva Andor and how that affects B2 and Brasso and Cassian. Uh, the loss of freedom and free will and autonomy that, that Bix is currently going through. Uh, the loss of... Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase the Cyril thing. Cyril, like, losing his chance at normality and and having to rush it back to Ferrix. Like, this is an episode that deals a lot with, like, what characters are losing or what characters have lost. And next episode, I'm really excited to kind of see the finale. Big, big explosion. There's one, one or two shots from the trailers we haven't seen yet. 
which uh, this this next episode is going to be a banger. Then we have to wait like two years for the next half of it. That does suck. That honestly. really sucks. That really sucks because that really sucks. They're going to try to distract us with Mando three, and they're going to try to distract us with Bad Batch, and it's like, wait, yep, a minute, and wait Ahsoka. A <laughs> yeah, even Skeleton Crew, right? Like, damn, they're trying to distract us with everything. Keep here, keep keep watching the Baby Yoda. Uh, right. Forget about the fact that you don't get Endor for another two years. It's so interesting because a lot of people are like not excited about Endor before it came out, and now the resounding chorus is, wait we have to wait two goddamn years to get more Andor. yeah it's like the show you didn't know you wanted but now that you have it you're like sad that it's gone and then you're so like 20, wait come back come back 2024 is gonna be lit because it's gonna have house of the dragon season two rings of power season two Andor season two hopefully not all airing at the same time this time right exactly because i can't deal with that again and all then right. isn't and then wait isn't 2024 also theoretically when Star Wars movies are coming. Twenty twenty five. Or twenty twenty five. When okay. they're saying. All right. Well, we'll see. Twenty twenty five. I think is when they're talking about resuming the Star Wars movies. Well, next week we will talk about the finale of Andor. Then our plan is to do a slightly different retrospective than before. Uh, I'm about ninety nine percent sure we're going to have a guest on who I kept wanting for a specific episode then delaying because more things came out that I wanted to ask her about. So we're just going to try to get her in the retrospective. Then we will cover, we have about three weeks. uh, So we're going to cover Tales of the Jedi. They're going to be shorter episodes uh, with minimal TikToking and and all that just because we sort of need a little bit of a mini break. Uh, And then we will dive right into the Bad Batch. And we are sort of working out behind the scenes how we want to handle Bad Batch and Mando Season 3 and Ahsoka and all that stuff that's coming out next year. But uh, until then, Bradley, you want to roll the socials so that people know where to find us. And we'll see you next week for the explosive conclusion of Andor Season 1. Everything sucks for everyone all the time, but at least they're mostly hot. Thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze. Did Charles fuck something up? Send us a message at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at goldsquadgaze. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at goldsquadrongaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at goldsquadrongaze, where we post the podcast as well as exclusive content. Please join us next week and every week for more of Gold Squadron Gaze. I will say I'm in my early 30s, and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Unless you're on certain apps, and then I am 29. <laughs> I love the disappointed expression in your face whenever I make jokes like this. <laughs>